Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. I learned the value of hard work very early on from the people around me. I grew up in a low-income country and 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 like, you know, things were never handed to us or to me or to my family or whatever. Like you had to work hard for them. And to me, I'm like that's how it should be. Um raising my little one in the US, I think I worry that she may not know her privilege, like she may not understand her own privilege. We arrived in this country with $101.67. I have a master's degree and two bachelor's degree. We own a home. We have a car. I mean, I have a phone. (laughs) You know, we have a laptop at home. But that's not like, it's, I'm not trying to be funny, but like, it's, it's a big deal. And in my head, I'm like, I am so grateful and therefore, I want to be able to have that be passed on. Yeah. And it's nothing to do with her. She doesn't know of any course, better. It has nothing to do. She's the sweetest. She is so sweet. She's loving and cuddly and so sweet. But at the same time, I, you know, I want her to be able to know that there are people that, that go without. Yeah. Like, will she be generous? Will she be kind? Will she... Will she be a good human being if she ends up not being as appreciative or grateful or maybe understanding her privilege, then maybe I failed. Maybe I didn't do my job in helping her get there. This is Motherhood Sessions. I'm Dr. Alexandra Sachs. Today, I'm talking with the woman we're calling Dee. She lives in a quiet suburb of Washington, D.C. with her husband and two-year-old daughter. Dee's family is originally from India, but she grew up in Kenya. Then, at the age of 19, she immigrated to the U.S. with her family. They were seeking asylum after racially motivated violence flared up in their hometown. Now, 20 years later, Dee has built a life of safety and stability— but she's unsure of how to raise a daughter in such a different environment than the one she grew up in. I think my childhood was a mixed bag. How so? So we lived um, in a coastal town. It's like a tiny island the size of Key West is what I tell people. It's small. We It wasn't a super rich neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, like, it wasn't, I think it was like middle, middle of the road by Kenyan standards. Um, it wasn't like high-end, but it wasn't complete, like, poverty. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it was just a very um, 
idyllic idyllic is that how you say it in a, mm-hmm. yeah very like laid back coastal type environment um there was there was this building across from us that um was perpetually under construction we kept joking how like the owner kept running out of money after like one little brick was being put on so there was always this like construction site that gave us lots of fodder <laughs> to do nefarious activities uh-huh. um but then at the age of 14, my dad died, and I had to grow up very fast. Yeah. How did your dad die? He had a, um, Emma, I'm a, sorry, he had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had an MI. Do you remember that day? Yeah, he had the MI right in front of me. Um, my mom actually wasn't at home, and I was sitting, I was sitting in the living room doing my homework, and he came home and he just sort of like clutched his chest and like had trouble walking. And I didn't, in my head, I was like, I don't know what's happening. So I need to get help. And he was a big, he's a big man. Um, or he was a big man, six foot, you know, I don't know, 250 pounds or something like that. So I, little me, I wasn't going to be able to hold him up. So I called for my neighbors and said, hey, I, re- I need I need help. M- you know, daddy's not doing well. Can you please come help, like, look up, like, what's happening? And then we need to call my mom. Like, we need, I think we need to take him to the hospital now. You must have been so scared. I was. I just I just wanted my mom there. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I don't know if anything that I'm doing is helping. So I think, I like, by the time my mom came home, like, the neighbors were already taking him. Um down and so then she went off to the hospital and um i think he was pronounced dead upon arrival um Mm -hmm. so i don't know if they worked on him or what they did to work work him up um but yeah um and it wasn't until very late that night that like my mom came home and i just knew like, no one ever told me that my dad passed away. I just knew. Um, and then in my culture, the firstborn child, actually the firstborn son, takes on, like, a bunch of responsibility as far as, like, things that need to be done for the funeral. And often the daughter doesn't get, like, much, you know, the boy child is given a little bit more sort of status or whatever. But my mom, my mom insisted. She's like, she is my firstborn son. She should be there. She should be there. So I got and to. there are only two. It's just you and your sister. Yeah. And she is, she kept saying it. She's like, she is my firstborn son. Right. That like this all of a sudden, we're like, oh, I am her firstborn son. So I guess you describe this as being a time where you feel like your childhood kind of, the, the innocence of your childhood ended. Yeah. I think at the age of 14, I just knew all of a sudden that I couldn't be a child and that I had to, I had to help my mom. And, you know, and, and she, she, bless her heart, she's like an amazing mother. She worked so hard to sort of help me and my sister. Um get through life but it was just very real to me that i just couldn't be this carefree kid um i really had to figure out 
my life and I had a little sister that I, that also depended on me um and so but I just feel like I took on a parenting role very very early And then we moved, um, my mom, she, in her mind, she was like, okay, I have two girls. I have to figure out how to get them situated in life and how to, to sort of like, you know, get us away, um, from, from where we were. Cause increasingly like from a safety perspective, um, it was hard. Um, in what way? um, from a safety perspective, like just like the age that we were, we had heard a lot of like girls getting raped and um, that belonged to our skin color and all of that. Um, in your town, in in our town, it, so yeah. there had been there had been attacks on young girls. Yes, we actually knew family friends whose little girl was, you know, kidnapped and taken away and. It was just horrible, horrible stuff that you just don't want anybody to think about kind of thing. And so I think that she, in her mind, was like, I got to protect my girls. And it was, yeah, system systematically happening to people, at least at that time, people who were Indian. And they were living in Kenya. And historically, there's there has been tension in, in, in Kenya amongst folks of Indian background. Mm -hmm who've been living there for a while. There was tension between the Kenyans who were Black and the Kenyans who were Indian. Yes. that, that There was racism between those two groups. I think so. Actually, I know so. <laughs> um, when Kenya was, was colonized by the British, they basically made Indians the, like, perhaps the civil servants in the government, or they gave them different positions of power. So I think that with that legacy, I think that that, that then has manifested in today, this sense of like, well, these foreigners have taken resources from us and now they're, they're really well off and they're able to own, you know, whatever, land or businesses or homes. And here, you know, there, there's just there resentment. There was tension. Did like, it go reporting. both ways? I think so. Yeah. I don't think Indian people were very nice, like, to Black people either. Um, I saw some things that I'm just like, this is, you're, you're not being very, you're not treating people with respect. You know, there's just this, like. Right. So I there's a real division from your experience before your dad died, before you were 14, where you had a, a, a real sense of harmony and safety in your neighborhood. Yeah. I Now as you're talking to me, I'm realizing part of it is probably also that the, the curtain was lifted after my dad passed away, and yeah. therefore I was exposed to perhaps more adult conversations. Maybe I was exposed to a bit more responsibility and all of that. So I had to like maybe shift my my mind yeah. to, to think in a different way. And maybe yeah. it existed. And yeah. maybe my parents were always worried. Who knows? Right. Um, and so and so you moved you 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 moved because there was crime in your town that you were more aware of after you were fourteen and you, and your mom was con increasingly concerned about. I think that's I think that's it. I think that she felt that because she was now solely responsible, that this was all on her, yeah. and that she felt probably, you know, that she just couldn't like f 
like physically um what's the word like she couldn't physically control things yeah and so if things were to happen she's like well i don't i don't have a I don't know, for lack of a better word to make it sound really She's sexist, not a six-foot-tall like, man. Yeah, she's like, I don't have a man by my side to, like, fight off the bad guys. You know, like, it, this is, like, I get probably it. what she was thinking. Um, and so, yeah, there's, yeah. And then things that happened that, like, mm-hmm. I think that just made it harder, that just get got the urgency for her to be like, we need to just leave. This mm-hmm. is not a good, like, I just don't see a good way. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. So I think... You're con- you're worried about your daughter missing something because she's growing up in Washington D.C. and it and it was something you got that seems important to you or something you're proud of about that informs your identity in a very clear way. Yeah. So I, I think the 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 I tend to live in like not I tend to live in like there's the ideals that mm-hmm. that I see mm-hmm. and I want to strive for those ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also realistically, like, I know she's not going to have the same exact childhood. Like, she's not. That's right. just not reality. Right. But in my brain, I'm like, but I want her to have this piece and this piece and this piece. From you your know, past. From my past. Um, what are you What are you worried your daughter is missing by, by growing up in the U.S.? I it, worry that she won't know her roots to some degree. Um and that they, that mat, that might lend itself to not being grateful and appreciative of what she does have. And I don't want her to like, I don't want to specifically deprive her just so she can understand. Like, that's not my thing either. But at the same time, I, like, it was hard for me to register for things for our, our baby shower. Like, I kept getting told by my friends and people that were hosting they were like you need to put more on here and like but that's enough like what what more does she need and she's like no people want to like bless you they want to give you and i'm like but she doesn't need eight million stuff toys you know and not that we register for that but she got them anyway <laughs> um you know it just in my head i'm like i think i think i have a hard time with stuff 
because I didn't have a lot of stuff. Um, and therefore, I find it hard when my child is being bestowed with stuff that I see that I'm like, will she appreciate this stuff? Yeah. I worry that if she turns out to be spoiled, <laughs> lack, lack of a better word, spoiled brat, I'm just going to have a hard time with that. And that will, will she be generous? You know, will she be kind? Will she understand that, like, there is life outside her little bubble? Will you like her? Oh, I hope I always do. But I think that's what you're afraid of. I think that's what you're anxious about. Yeah, maybe. You look so sad right now. I don't know. It... I had a hard time liking her in the beginning. We, I, I might, I don't think I was officially diagnosed, but I think I had a little bit of postpartum. Um, I think, you know, breast Depression? Weight, yeah, depression, thank you. Um, I think, um, you know, breastfeeding was hard. The early days were hard. She had colic, she cried for hours on end reflux like we couldn't put her down my husband like I tell people not tell people but like we have this joke of how him and I both were not horizontal at the same time for the first eight weeks of her life because we were holding her upright and was sleeping on a chair which is you know they tell you not to do that <laughs> but like it's the only way she was quiet where she wouldn't cry um and I didn't like her very much I think it took me time um someone said to me that like you fall in love very slowly i i felt you know i don't know where i heard that but um maybe like i didn't fall in love with her as quickly as most moms do um or maybe a lot of moms maybe a lot take of time to bond with their babies too yeah and maybe i was looking sad earlier just now that i'm like i'm finally at the place where i like actually like her and now i'm like i don't I don't want to not like her again. That was horrible back then because it felt like, you know, everyone's joyous around the baby and I just couldn't feel joy. And to f that feeling mm -hmm. that I had when she was first born or, you know, in her early days, I'm like, I hate that. I don't want to feel that way towards her. But that's, I think, what you're nervous about. That's what you're here to talk about. You're here to... to plan and educate yourself and protect yourself for the future for how to think to think about how to parent a kid who's gonna have a, a lot of things that you didn't have as a child and ha how to parent that type of a person so that she can grow up as someone who you do like yeah as your kid with your the values that that you're proud of and then I worry that am I swinging the pendulum the other way, like mm. overly, you know. Indulgent or no, harsh. Harsh. Overly harsh on Because with her. you're worried that she, you're if afraid I, of her becoming spoiled. Yes. Yes. Like my husband, he is a kind, gracious man. He loves so well and he loves her so well. And, like, I can see their relationship. And sometimes I'm like, my, why can't I just relax and just enjoy her? Why can't I just, like, feel like I can just enjoy her and love on her without worrying? You know, that, like, by loving on her unreserv unreservedly? Ugh, is that the word? Like, unabashedly. Mm -hmm. if, if I love on her unabashedly, 
that she's going to be okay. I think I feel like I need to hustle to get myself in a stable situation um, that I can't really fully relax because, you know, what if something were to happen? What, what if the bottom were to fall out again? Right. And so then I'm like, I really can't fully relax. Do you think that you are still working through some feelings about what was kind of taken away from you at the age 14 and and maybe you have there is some grieving that you're still doing about about that and and that perhaps that may get stirred up for you at points as you look at your daughter and her sort of the comforts and privileges that she will have I think so I mean I I didn't, I didn't think about it before this as in in the clear crisp way like you put it um I, I think that's also something that I struggle with a lot is, yeah. you know, what they, if I allow myself, if I allow myself to fi- feel full, the fullness of joy and the fullness of life, and I taste that, and then all of a sudden that fullness is taken away, I am going to be shattered. So I feel this need to always be protecting myself. And that's taking away the joy of mothering for me. God, I never realized that until I just said it right now. However we slice this, I think there are a lot of a lot of different ways to look at kind of like the fear you walked in with and what it's really about. I think The general theme here is that the fear you walked in with is that you're not going to be a good enough mother. You're not Mm -hmm. going to be able to accomplish something that you want in your mothering to raise a mindful child with privilege. Mm -hmm. But I I think what it's really about and the work that is going to get help you resolve this fear is about kind of revisiting some some unsolved wounds from your past, from that abrupt ending of the sweetness of your childhood when you had to grow up very fast at age 14. And I think you have some more grieving to do there so that your story can feel a little bit more healed and whole and so that you can have some emotional space to view your daughter's story as, as new. That's different. But I think grieving is is that. I think that there is a part where I'm like, it wasn't fair for me to not grow up without my dad. Like, I, I, she has something that I don't have, and how dare she? Right. And I'm like, that's not fair. Right. Like, she didn't choose it, neither did I. I think it's, it's hard for you to trust this thing that you're providing for your daughter because it was ripped away from you. Because I think you came in and you were locating the problem outside of you in these places that made you worried. Am I raising her in a place where she's not going to be a person who's thoughtful of her privilege and what she has and of diversity? But I think the, the, the problem, the thing that you need to work on is not outside. It's not as much in like 
the day-to-day parenting choices as it is, I think, about the inner work of healing this grief that is from your own childhood that is being activated by raising a child. Yeah. And I think what's so, so powerful today is that you've gotten in touch with some projection that I think has been happening where, you know, because you have had so much real trauma and loss. And I think you're, this fear about whether or not you're gonna do a good job as a mom, I think there's more than one way to learn the lesson of being grateful for what you have. You learned it by not having. Yeah. You were grateful for what you had because you did not have, you did not have a telephone, you did not have at a certain point a father, right? But that's not the only way to learn about privilege. Mm. The challenge is gonna be to teach your daughter about what she has and what other people don't have while she's not being deprived of anything. And that's uncharted territory for me. Right. I don't know how to do that. Well, you haven't lived through it yet. (laughs) Yeah. But this was sort of the whole beautiful plan here. You know, that was the plan all along, is for your family to be in a different place than where you began. Mm -hmm. Your mom... She did not want your daughter, her granddaughter, to be in the same position as you. Hmm. She wanted to move her family forward. That That's part of why she left hmm. her home. And so, you know, you're, you're exactly where your mom worked very hard for you to be, this confusing place of <laughs> having and also being thoughtful. Yeah. I don't think... That's going to be so hard for you to teach your little girl that. It's hard to teach a two-year-old that because two-year-olds don't understand <laughs> abstract concepts. So right now you're not going to teach it to her. But yeah, when she can understand more, I think that's that's not the hard part. I think you're going to find that to be easier than you fear. I think what the hard part is is healing your own wounds mm-hmm. and reckoning with your own grief about what what you lost when you were 14. I think you're right. I think I think that like experiencing joy fully is hard for me. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Oh my gosh. But it's worth it. It's worth it because it's going to give you a clearer head to see your little girl and her separate childhood. That is a separate story from your story. It's going to help you be a better mom. Yeah, I think so. I think that it feels hopeful to have... It's not even like... I think our conversation has just been really hope... Like right now I feel really hopeful to some degree that 
that there is a way to work through some of this. It's not just this mental hamster wheel, you know, wheel turning thing that I gotta do this and I gotta do this and, and what about that? Like, it feels hopeful that there is like this other thing that has been completely a stone unturned, or not turned yet, that maybe that there are ways to work on this that might help. Motherhood Sessions is a production of Gimlet Media and Spotify. It's produced by Peter Bresnan. Our editors are Devin Taylor and Nazanin Rafsanjani. Music and mixing by Emma Munger. We'll have a brand new episode next week 